melting down a threat to decency and humanity. Last week, along with cocaine, what is it today? Is more in one small country. It is a big idea. Because of oppression, has new Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I'm your host, Wayne McCroy. Tonight, we're going to talk about as it was in the days of Noah. Uh, and tonight, we're going to start by actually uh, cracking open the Bible and looking first at uh, Matthew chapter 24, and this is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus talks about uh, how things will be in the end of the age, which uh, we are actually transitioning through right now as we speak. Uh, so let's, without further ado, let's see what the man himself had to say about this. So uh, let's go down to chapter 24, verse 36. But as, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angel of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in, a, in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that was Matthew chapter 24, the end portion thereof. Uh, so, what can we garner from this message here? Well, we could see that uh, this has happened before. Okay, this once again points out uh, the cyclical nature of our reality. This is something that uh, has occurred before. There, We have been through a transition phase between ages once before, at least once before, actually probably multiple times before, and uh, multiple times recorded here. And this one is actually 
the transition from an age of earth or based upon earth ideas to the age of water and that's the age that we are now transitioning out of into the age of air uh, so you can see i mean some big things uh, came about in the days of noah okay this was a a total shakeup of reality for the people at that time and that's kind of a very similar thing as to what's going on and, and people were unaware that the uh the consequences of this age change would hit them until such a time as noah entered the ark and, and that's the thing so we have uh this whole kind of a a framework to look at and we can know the season that we're in and it's important to think in terms of seasons okay and we know that uh you know in the very same uh, chapter here in the Bible, uh, Jesus talks about uh, the fig tree and how you could know what season you're in based upon what's going on with the fig tree. He says when you see the, the buds of the fig tree starting to bloom, you know that it's spring and that the summer is near. And uh, we could know the same thing by looking at the various signs and, and wonders around us in the world today. We could know what season we're in and what season are we in we're in this transition phase we're at the end of this age okay and uh, we're, we're switching over um, from an age of water to the age of air and uh, just to give an idea we're looking at this from a little different perspective tonight uh, than what the usual uh, Christian eschatology would look at it from. Uh, we're going to take a, a step back and, and look at it from a more alchemical view, uh, to give it a, a broader overview, and to see what it is we can anticipate here in this changeover from age to age. And we'll do that by reviewing uh, the story of Noah. So we're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 6 in the Bible, and I'm going to be reading from a New International Version, the NIV, as it's called. <clears throat> and we'll see what happened in the days of Noah. What is he making reference to here? What, what exactly was going on? What things uh, preceded the days of Noah? Uh, what kinds of things were going on in this society around them? And, uh, you know, many people will argue the semantics of all of this and say, oh, the Bible, it's, it's not meant to be interpreted literally and it's not an accurate uh, representation of our history. And, you know, all these stories are just myths and, and things of that nature. And even though there's layers of meaning uh, in here, this gives probably one of the most accurate overviews of uh, the narrative of our history uh, going back. Uh, when we actually look at it. I mean, it may not be 100% spot on as an accurate historical record per se, but it gives you all of the different archetypes and motifs that mankind has experienced through these different ages and through these different times. And that's an important concept and idea. So even though, you know, it some people will argue this is the literal verbatim history of what had happened in the world and other people <clears throat> excuse me other people may argue that much of it's allegorical or you know uh, it's just a mythological type tale regardless of that stance what we need to understand is this stuff's important it was written down for a reason 
Uh, many of these ideas transcend time and culture. So that's why I think it's important to take a look at this tonight. So we can understand, what does it mean as it was in the days of Noah? Okay, so <clears throat> let's take a, a look back in Genesis chapter 6. And I know we've talked about this on other uh, broadcasts before, but we're going to get a little more in-depth here with the actual story of Noah and not just the things that preceded Noah here. But this could kind of give us a context as to what things were happening in the world around Noah uh, just prior to uh, his historic building of the ark, uh, what, however you want to label that uh, whole story here, whether you see it as being nonsensical or, or just, you know, being an allegory or whether you see it as being uh, a historical fact, whatever your stance is on it. Regardless of what your stance is, it's important that we look at this archetypal story and the different elements at play here so that we can understand what it is that the world's going through right now. Uh, these are revolutionary times that we're living in, and that's because we're transitioning between ages, and that's right where Noah was. He was at this transition point between ages, and we'll look through the text here, and we'll point out certain things uh, that we could look at in a different context than just what the exoteric surface reading says. And we'll, we'll understand, we'll be able to read different levels of meaning in there and pull more out of this story than what's on the surface. So it's important that this stuff was written down and that we have this, this account of these things. So let's get into it. I'm going to clear my throat quick. <coughs> Sorry, it's allergy season and stuff here. I don't necessarily have allergies, but the pollen's ridiculous this year. So anyway, let's get into it. Genesis chapter 6. When man began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And we're going to pause right there. This is talking about the story of uh, what we would call either the Watchers or these fallen angelic beings. These were the quote-unquote sons of God. And the Nephilim, the Nephilim were these, uh, these hybrids born to them. Uh, so these were beings that don't belong in this physical reality when it comes down to it. These were not beings that uh, God have, had ever intended to exist here in the physical world. Okay, He made them, they had their own realm, their own place, these angelic beings. But they decided to rebel against God and descended to earth. And uh, they, they mated with uh, 
the sons of human beings or the daughters of human beings i should say they mated with the daughters of human beings and they had children by them and these were these nephilim which were um you know rumored to be these these giants because uh, that's how uh, many of the translations translated there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that and that's what it's talking about here these are the classified as nephilim okay so these are beings that are allegedly half angelic or fallen angelic and and half human so these were pretty much like the the gods of old okay uh these were uh they, they could be equated to the titans of greek mythology uh when you look back at these things i mean it's it's all talking about very similar things regardless of what angle you come to it at uh all these many stories they all interlock and relate but that's what this is talking about this is what was going on in the days of noah right before uh noah built the ark and entered the ark this was going on uh just the generation before noah building up to the time of noah okay so these things were going on so we could view this um in the sense that uh, there was a type of genetic engineering going on back then that uh, this uh, chimeric mix of these two um, types of beings that was going on uh, created desolation and evil in the world and created an unbalance in nature so what we see going on is this this was how nature would correct the problem is through the uh, the wiping out of this hybrid species on the earth that didn't belong here and that's kind of what uh, one of the viewpoints of the uh, great flood mythology is is this is why that this flood happened and i call it mythology because it does transcend cultures and time okay so uh, there's many different flood stories and things of that nature that go right along with this and this is all the the same kind of description that's given through these many things so um what had happened is uh if, if you get a little more context from uh places like the book of enoch it tells you that uh, these fallen angelic beings were tinkering with nature in ways they shouldn't have been it wasn't just that they were mating with the the daughters of men okay <coughs> that's not exactly all that was going on there were other things happening uh they were making all of the different uh, beasts of the earth combining them in different ways and chimeric type ways that were unnatural and it was a complete affront to, to the natural order so that's kind of what we're looking at here this is what was going on um, it was a total inversion of the natural order happening across the entire world and you know that was brought about by these beings who uh, viewed themselves as having greater intellect than most of the masses and they they thought they could control nature and do a better job than the creator at uh, reconstructing this natural order into something unnatural and that's kind of what was going on in those days leading up to the great flood to give us a little context there so uh, when jesus is saying as it was in the days of noah so shall it be in the days of the coming of the son of man okay so we could see that and we're entering the age of air the age of aquarius also called the age of man so see he's saying the coming of the 
the day of the Son of Man. All right. So, uh, you know, this is kind of an uh, allusion to the concept of the changeover of the age. Okay. So these things were a precursor leading over to the, the changeover of the age from an age of earth uh, to the age of water. Okay. And this, this could be equated back to, uh, this was more of an agrarian agricultural type age, okay, where men had learned to uh, work with nature and till the land and uh, produce more crops and things of that nature and work the earth. And we, we see that when we go back even to the uh, beginning of the Bible, to the story of Adam and Eve. Adam was cursed to have to work the ground to produce his food. So this was the entering into an age of earth, okay? This is uh, one of those things that, that's recorded in the Bible, and we're looking at this once again from an alchemical type lens, looking through at the basic principles, the philosophical elemental ideas. Okay, so we see man in his first inception, or what we would call his first inception within the Bible on earth, being created as Adam, entered into this age of earth. Now he came from, uh, stepped down into the earth realm, per se, and into this age of earth from uh, what we would call uh, an age of fire, which fire represents spirit and soul, okay? So he was a spiritual being, stepped down into the flesh here, was made flesh, was made physical, and this looks back at different ideas of, of the different levels of reality, the different types of, of worlds, like the uh, the archetypal world or the the uh, you know, the, the world of the mind, uh, the etheric, these kind of things, stepping down through the levels. Okay, so Adam stepped completely down to earth, and he was a man made of earth even. It even says he was he was formed from earth. Um, you know, from the dust ye shall come, and to dust you return. See, so this is the idea. Man was created to pretty much... Uh, exist primarily initially in the age of earth and through time what has happened is man has transitioned through this age uh, due to these other factors being involved here okay and this equates back once again to the ideas of reality being inverted our physical reality uh, being inverted by intelligences that uh, want to create a new order a new world order okay so we could look back at these old ideas and see it's all encoded in there and it's all the same thing coming forward and as it was in the days of noah this was a transitory phase between an age of earth to an age of water all the language changed all the laws changed all of these ideas they all changed but here's where the difference is adam came into being in this age of earth now earth as a philosophical element, is always related and tied to the physical. Okay? And here's the other thing. Water, transitioning to the water age. Water is also always philosophically thought of as being tied to the physical. Whereas the elements of air and fire are more uh, equated to being elements of spirit. Okay? So these are loftier ideas. So we're stepping into a time of loftier ideas. So basically, what's going on is we are on the ascendant right now, stepping into a new age.
So because we're on the ascendant in an alchemical way, what has actually happened in the modern era is uh, those technocrats and those uh, dark occultists who have seized power are trying to engineer this stepping up, this uh, spiritual awakening per se. They're trying to engineer it into something completely unnatural that they could control. And that's kind of what's been going on. That's why they've been stifling things and doing censorship and things of these nature, this nature. Uh, and that's why they're pushing so hard for this transhumanist agenda and why they're pushing this whole hyper-materialist viewpoint. And that, that's basically what transhumanism is tied to, hyper-materialism. So that's binding people to this physical state, okay? Uh, even though we are entering an age where we should be heading on an, a spiritual ascent, they're trying to stifle us, okay? These people who've got uh, gotten control of these reins of power through the ages here, these dark occultists who took over, uh, you know, pretty much control of world governments and, and, you know, different aspects of our society, they're trying to stifle down the masses because there's a very small percentage at the top that think of themselves as the elites of this world, who want to have this spiritual ascension, but also have control here because they want to be God. They want to usurp the creator and be the gods of this place, and they think they could do it. And that's basically what we see going on, and this is what had happened in the days of Noah. So we're going to go ahead and get back into uh, the reading here, and we'll, we'll break it down a little more as we go. <coughs> so... This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch, inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it, and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark, and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I am going to bring flood waters on the earth and destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. And I'm going to pause right there. Uh, it says in another translation of this that uh, God saw that Noah was perfect in his generation. And this is talking about genetics. Okay? 
he was fully human. His flesh was not corrupted with uh, this uh, chimeric mixing of blood with these fallen angelic beings or, or the Nephilim thereof. So he was genetically still perfectly human. And that's why he, to exclusion of all else, was saved. To keep that, uh, that uh, human, that full human ability, that full human bloodline and genetic line in place. So that, that's one of the theories that they talk about as to why, uh, why, do, why the flood. Because everything had been corrupted by this genetic seed line of the fallen ones. So that's basically what it was said. And uh, like I said, if you look into more context within the Book of Enoch and stuff, uh, it wasn't just that they were mixing with humans, okay? They were mixing genetic material with all life. And that's why, uh, you know, the flood was the solution to this, to wipe out all these things. And that's uh, one of the reasons that's given for the reasoning behind this great flood. Anyway, where did we leave off here? Let's get back to the reading. It says, okay. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark, as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the flood waters came on the earth. So I'm going to pause there. So Noah, uh, all these animals started showing up, and he and his family started loading them on the boat here. And they sat inside the boat for seven days. Uh, could you imagine the laughing stock? Uh, he probably was to the people at the time. Ah, that look at that crazy nut, that crazy conspiracy theorist. Where's your tinfoil hat, buddy? What are you doing with all those animals, you and your cult up there? Could you imagine? That's probably what he went through. So he waited seven days for this. So it says, And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. And I'm going to pause right there. It also says uh, earlier in this biblical narrative that up until this point, man had never known what rain was, that it had never rained upon the land there. So this was something totally terrifying to the people. Uh, they, they hadn't had rainfall up until that point. So that's basically how the, the narrative here goes. The, the people, they existed on land. They, they lived in agricultural life. They had never known what rainfall was, or storms, or anything of the sort. And then all the, the waters of the deep opened up. And uh, they, could you imagine the terror of something like that, an event like that? They never knew what it was at that point. And this, once again, correlates back to the idea of this was the age of Earth, and we were transitioning to the age of water. So you could see there how the, the element uh, was transitioned. Uh, basically, uh, earth, that's all these people knew. They knew how to work the ground. They existed on the land. They never knew what it was uh, to have to deal with water in this kind of a, a way. Uh, I mean, they, they had had 
supposedly rivers and streams and things like that that they drew drinking water and stuff from and you know had irrigated the fields and stuff with uh, for the agricultural reasons but they had never dealt with the idea of heavy rainfall before so this was something that sounded ridiculous when noah was talking about uh, there's going to be a great flood they're like yeah right what are you talking about so anyway not to belabor that point for too long but uh, let's let's read on here <clears throat> so it says and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights on that very day noah and his sons shem ham and japheth together with his wife and the wives of his three sons entered the ark they had with them every wild animal according to its kind all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind. See, I'm going to pause there again. Notice that it's pointing out everything according to its kind and with its kind. See, this is indicating, once again, there's no mixing of species here, okay? There's no genetic mixing going on. There's no chimeric uh, creatures uh, allowed here or, or being here, see? So this was preserving the original, originally intended genetic lines. See, uh, so that's what that's talking about when it's saying everything according to its kind. So let's move on here. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. And I'm going to pause there. That's another important thought, the breath of life. Okay, so that indicates a spirit. All these animals have a spirit. Okay, and uh, the the connotation there, I would think, is these chimeric blends of these very strange different creatures and stuff that uh, the fallen ones were allegedly tinkering with. Uh, maybe they didn't have a spirit, per se, or, or not a natural spirit, anyway. But that's, that's kind of the connotation that I would read in there. But uh, let's get back to the reading. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. For forty days the flood kept coming on the earth. And as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on earth. And all the high mountains under the heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for a hundred and fifty days. And we're going to pause right there. That's the end of chapter 7 of Genesis. <clears throat> we're just going to uh, go back and take a look here. Uh, the water rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Water covered the entire earth. This is the switchover point between the ages. That's what's in, encoded here. Okay, The earth, the age of earth, was no more. It was now the age of water. All the former things in the age of earth died, passed on. 
it's transitioning to a new age, okay? The age of water. And uh, with the age of water comes new ideas, new things, new life, okay? The old things are passed away. It will be new things now. That's what it's indicating there. But let's continue on because we've still got quite a bit of the story to go here. We'll continue with Genesis chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth. And that's an interesting idea. I'm going to pause there. A wind. There's your air idea. That's a um, kind of a, a foreshadowing of the age to come after the age of water. Uh, you know, one more fraught with spiritual type ideas. The age of air. Anyway, not to belabor that for too long, but let's see. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the hundred and fifty days, the water had gone down. And on the seventeenth day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And I'm going to pause right there. You'll notice the number 17 is echoed twice here. The first, it was in the second month uh, that the flooding had started. or And here it is, the 17th of the seventh month. It stopped. Okay. So uh, what we're looking at here um, is, is probably uh, the equivalent of what the months of April would be or March. I'm, I'm thinking probably more March where when it began, March, April, something like that, and September when the ark came to rest because they, you know, they, they measured the uh, months of the year differently. This is going back to, uh, you know, Hebraic type ideas. So I'm thinking that uh, when it's saying the second month and the seventh month, that wouldn't be like the, the traditional February and July that we think of. Uh, this would be more two months forward, so probably April, the springtime, and September, the fall. And you could see those ideas encoded once again. Uh, same kind of thing going on when you look at these basic principles, these four philosophical elemental ideas. Same thing, it equates to the seasons and, and various different things like that. So you're talking spring and fall. The equinoxes, okay? Uh, so, like, once again, and it all ties to the sky clock as well. It always all ties back in, in astrological terms, too. So, I mean, the, these different ideas are all crossed over here, and that's why they encode these things in there. But you'll notice the number 17 there, and uh, I don't think we'll get into breaking down 17 numerologically, but I know there is a significance to it. But uh, anyway, I just thought that was interesting. So it gives a total time that this happened they were at sea for five months or or on the waters for five months before the ark came to rest that's a long time <laughs> so uh, it says the ark came to rest on the mountains of ararat the waters continued to recede until the 10th month and on the first day of the 10th month the tops of the mountains became visible so this has taken a long time for this water to recede isn't it uh, when you look at it, that's three more months that they sat there. Like three months. So you're, you're talking, this is eight months in a boat, 
with smelly animals. I mean, uh, <clears throat> to think about it, well, you know, I, I don't think it would be all that pleasant of a, of a trip, honestly. But, you know, uh, let's get back to the reading here. So it says, After 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. And that's an important esoteric idea there, guys. A raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had re receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. And I'm going to pause there again. A dove. A dove and a raven. Um, you know, they're, they're two opposite polarities. Okay, you're talking about a black bird and a white bird. Uh, you, you could see this is kind of a... The idea of duality, or what they call duality, but it's that's not really a proper way to view it. It's more of a polarity type idea. Uh, so first he sends out the raven, and uh, then he sends out the dove. Okay, but the the dove came back again. So it says here, but the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. And then we're going to pause there. So he sent the dove out a total of three times. Okay. And this is an important idea. And, uh, why is that? Uh, why didn't he send out the raven again? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Um, it, it you'll notice that it, it makes the point that he sends out the dove, and he sends out the dove three times. The second time, it brings back this olive branch. This kind of is has become what we would call the symbol of peace in our era. Okay, this this olive branch idea. Uh, so this is telling him that the waters had receded. Okay. And then the third time that he sends the dove out, it doesn't come back. So he knows it's time to leave, okay? That the, the transition's complete, uh, the, the land has dried, and he can move out of the ark and back onto land, see? So let's get back to the reading here. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. So we're talking about, once again, this would be another two months from that time. So you're talking a total of about ten months uh, in the ark. Okay. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. So uh, I'm going to pause there again. So the first first month of the of the his 601st year, uh, the ground was partially dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. So we're talking after all this. Uh, you're talking from the initial start of the trip. It would be more than 10 months, wouldn't it? It would be an entire year, unless of course they were counting only 10 months back then right? 
uh, which, you know, if you look back at some old astronomical ideas, that that might uh, be something that may have happened. So uh, maybe they had measured time differently than the months differently or used some different way to tell the months. And that's the other thing that I find intriguing is how would Noah measure the time that he was in the ark if it had no windows or the windows were covered? Because it says here uh, he kept the windows covered for the whole time uh, and he only removed it <laughs> right here. So you're talking anywhere from 10 months to a year uh, on the water in a, in a boat with smelly animals. <laughs> I don't I don't envy the guy, honestly. But uh, this is kind of an archetypal idea that relates to some of the hardships that we might go through in this, this switchover of the ages. It might stink. <laughs> let's, let's face it. Some of it might stink. But on the other side, I think things may be better. So let's let's get back to the reading here. Where did we leave off? Okay, Noah removed the covering from the ark and saw the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out, together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth, came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. So you see, there's an important statement here. God says, never again will I curse the ground because of man. Okay, so this is saying that uh, the age of earth, the earth was cursed. Okay. And after the age of water had set in, and all the old things had passed away, the earth was no longer cursed. It was fertile. Okay? So we could see the idea of uh, the, the, the elemental philosophical principles of earth equating to the winter time. All right? It's the winter. Everything's dead and lifeless. And now... The water comes, it's spring, everything starts to sprout and grow. All right, so you could see, uh, once again, we, we see these philosophical principles in play here when we look at it from the alchemical point of view. And it continues here in verse 22 of that chapter, As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. And doesn't that just reinforce what I was just talking about? That's exactly what we're talking about. It's these philosophical principles, these elemental ideas, okay? And it equates, once again, to all of these different things. Summer and winter, heat and cold, seed time, harvest, day and night. This, uh, what many would call duality, which in actuality is more of a polarity type idea. Uh, so when, when you view it from that point of view... You could see uh, 
it's it's different polarities it's cyclical okay and we need to understand that so like even these this changeover of ages is a cyclical thing so we really don't have anything to fear uh, from the natural world itself uh, what we have to be concerned with though is these dark occultists and technocrats that have seized the reins of power that want to try to leverage this information this uh, esoteric type information this uh, secret occult information that's been passed down in the secret societies and and mystery schools through the ages that they keep from the public uh, this information they're trying to leverage it against us to achieve total control themselves and uh, for nefarious purposes and that's what we need to be mindful of okay but know this that uh, you know the cycles of time continue on and the natural order always prevails so uh, as long as we work with nature um, we don't have anything to fear and, and that's that's the bottom line and but that's why I think it's important that we uh, take measured steps with these different technological ideas that are developing today and with these different social ideas that have been developing today they've really been mind controlling the masses for a long time now uh, they're they're masters at social engineering and uh, you know using these principles to socially engineer people to different behaviors that they want and that's where there's a disconnect because when we have this spiritual uh, revival going on this spiritual awakening going on they're trying to quell that through the social engineering and they're they're achieving you know some modicum of success with this uh, but there is this hope because there's massive numbers of people that are waking up to all the corruption and everything going on in the world and understanding that that's what it is that these uh, select few people in positions of power are trying to leverage these different technologies and these different older uh, esoteric ideas okay these these different philosophical principles that we're talking about here these alchemical type ideas that's what they're trying to leverage against us so that being the case we need to be mindful of these things and if we study and understand these things we have a better picture of how the world really operates and how it works the natural world that is see they they want us completely separated from nature so we don't understand these things so they could leverage them against us so that they could create their artificial utopia that they want that works for them but not for the masses that's not intended for us folks that's the whole thing see in their view we are the profane and they have no place for the profane in their new age or their new world order okay so that being the case I mean they've always talked about culling the population uh, of the quote-unquote useless eaters uh, that's their words not mine um, but like th these are the things that go on and this this is I'm trying to point out how far back many of these ideas go okay and that we have nothing to fear because it's cyclical in nature there's always going to be uh, these types of people who want to try to further their own agendas and their own selfish goals and aims at the expense of society at large and sometimes those people rise to positions of power because they truly truly seek after them because that's what they love to do they love to control and manipulate people and that's the mark of psychopathy 
That's one of the marks of psychopathy. These are the ones that want to control everything, everybody. So, uh, because of the nature of this psychopathy, they always seek these positions of power. Uh, and, and that's why many times, if they're ambitious enough and they work hard enough and they have the right connections, they wind up grabbing hold of these seats of power. And uh, some of them, with a, a, a bit of uh, an education in uh, many of these topics and these, these uh, old philosophical sciences and alchemical sciences that are taught in the secret societies, they get a hold of some of these things and they learn how to use them to manipulate people. And they love it. And that's what they want to do. And they, they see themselves as being superior and having uh, this sort of uh, uh, divine right to rule. That's how they view themselves. And they want to be God in no uncertain terms. And they think they could do it. And that's why, uh, you know, we, we're in the position that we're in today because many of these, uh, these types of people have worked together uh, playing the long game and have helped each other in this uh, small uh, select uh, uh, club, so, per, so to say, through the different generations. And they've, they've grasped, grasped hold of uh, the reins of power. And in so doing, they're, they're looking to further their agenda and achieve their ultimate goal that they call the great work. And this is a perversion of what was originally intended in the alchemical sense of what the great work is. <coughs> so that's kind of where we're at today. But anyway, let's read on just a little bit further here in uh, the book of Genesis. We're moving on to chapter 9, God's covenant with Noah. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. And I'm going to pause right there. Uh, so here's the thing, okay? I know a lot of people are sensitive about the vegetarian issue and that kind of thing, and I have nothing against vegetarians. If you have a, a, um, a conviction that you don't want to eat animals or, or be cruel to animals or anything like that, that that's a noble thing. Uh, but insisting that anybody who eats meat and stuff like that is in the wrong uh, is not necessarily correct. And, and this is one of the reasons why, okay, is because of this idea right here. But I don't want to belabor that point. Uh, that's neither here nor there. But this ties back again to uh, an archetypal idea that goes further back. And once again, it's the Cain and Abel dichotomy. Okay, uh, Abel was the meat eater. Cain was the farmer. Okay, so this ties back to that idea. So these are uh, many of these people who see themselves as being the uh, the quote unquote elite of this world. Uh, they trace their royal family bloodlines. You could, you know, look all this stuff up. I encourage you to do so. All the way back to Cain. Okay, they see themselves as the philosophers of fire. They're the bloodline relatives of Cain, and they believe that Cain was actually uh, the child of uh, Eve and some fallen angelic being. 
okay, so that he has a semi-divine nature to him. So they believe they have a semi-divine bloodline, and that's why they have the divine right to rule. Uh, it ties back to that Nephilim idea we were talking about earlier. And uh, this is what many in uh, the secret societies believe. And that's why they're so fascinated with blood type and lineage. And they trace royal bloodlines back. Uh, so this is the thing. They, they see themselves as being the, uh, uh, the descendants of Cain. And so being they're the, the rightful heirs, the philosophers of fire. Uh, the ones with the divine right to rule. So that that's kind of where this idea comes from. And this equates to the whole vegetarian angle here. See, this is why they're pushing this idea of, uh, you know, making uh, processed plant-based meat products and things of that nature. Why they, they push the whole vegetarian agenda. And, you know, I, like I said, I, I have nothing against vegetarians or people that have uh, some kind of a philosophical or moral uh, type of a stance against doing that, against eating animals and stuff like that. That's all well and good, and there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, you need to understand, just like everything else, there's an agenda being pushed and promoted here. And this is the reason why. It always ties back to occultism. I always tell people, wish I didn't. I wish it didn't. But it always does. And the, the, the further I dig into these things, the more I find that. Uh, so... But not to belabor that point for too long. Let's get on with the reading. It says here in verse 4, But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting for every animal. And from each man, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. And I'm going to pause there. It's separating the idea here between the flesh and the blood okay and there's an important aspect to blood and uh, i may have covered this in some other uh, uh, talks in the past but uh, there's something very special about blood uh, this is what in uh, my studies i've discovered it seems that many of these secret societies and stuff they equate the idea of the soul being something individual from the spirit and the blood is the carrier of the soul, okay? This is the vessel of soul. Uh, and blood equates philosophically to the elemental principle of fire. Uh, so it's an important idea to keep in mind. So when they're talking about the lifeblood, this is the soul, okay? This is something important in what I would call, quote-unquote, Illuminati, philosophy all right when, when you look in these secret society groups and stuff like that it's part of their quote-unquote soul science okay blood is a chief principle to that idea okay that you can you can build your soul and soul is separate from spirit and we may do another video at some point to uh, kind of explore that dichotomy and thought um, but anyway let's get back to the reading here it says here and from each man, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. And I'm going to pause there again. Once again, this equates the idea of divinity to blood. Okay? Uh, this, this may be, you know, something that equates to this divine spark idea being held within the auspices of the blood. And uh, 
it, it gets i might have to actually do an entire show talking about uh, the the mixing of blood and water and uh the different philosophical ideas and principles that go with that uh with the the separation between spirit and soul what the, the dichotomy between the two is and uh you know how they they view this whole thing uh from the, the the standpoint of the secret societies and the philosophies of of olden times and the alchemical perspective on these things but uh, let's get back to the reading once again as for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant. I am making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And I'm going to pause right there. The rainbow, folks. It's an important symbol. Okay? This traces the idea back. This is God's covenant that he will not destroy us. Okay? With with a flood. Alright? He won't destroy us with a flood. So, uh, when you see different, uh, different uses of this rainbow as a symbol know that it's it's a mockery of God's covenant that he made to man. All right? When we see it being used in, in ways that uh, distort the natural order. And that's all I'm going to say about that for right now, though. Uh, but anyway, let's, let's get back to the reading. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. And then we continue on to verse 18 here. It says, The sons of Noah. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. And I'm going to pause there. Once again, we see an important idea encoded there. Okay, a man of the soil. This is relating back to the idea of he was... Pretty much the last uh, remnant of the age of earth, okay? He was a man of the soil. So it says he proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. And I'm going to pause there. Wine. What, did, uh, what does the wine represent uh, if you're taking uh, the... Uh, 
the, the sacrament in, in different uh, Christian religious circles, okay? If you're uh, participating um, in that sacrament, the wine represents the blood. This is my body, which is broken to you. And this, the, the wine is, is my blood shed in your name. See, uh, so wine represents blood. So we're talking once again about the idea of the soul. All right. And uh, Jesus transmuted water into wine. Uh, that would be the equivalent of transferring spirit into soul. Uh, and like I said, I'm going to probably have to do an entire show on this whole idea. Because there's so much tied up in that idea. But anyway, wine represents blood. It's, it's symbolic. It's an archetype, okay? So we see here, Noah, when he, he drank some of its wine that he made at the vineyard, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out that his youngest son had found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, will he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his slave. Going to pause there. Doesn't that sound like an overreaction, folks? <laughs> what, what exactly is it talking about here? What went on? And... Uh, Many would say, I'm, I'm not going to go into that here, uh, honestly, what, what many of the, the, the Christian uh, uh, theologians and stuff, how they, they interpret this verse and stuff like that. I'm just going to look at it from an alchemical perspective. Um, you, you could look that up on your own and, and see what many uh, Christian uh, theologians and philosophers and stuff say uh, that that may talk about there. I'm not going to mention that here, but anyway... When we look at it from the, the philosophic point of view, or this alchemical point of view, uh, Noah was drunk with wine, and, and wine equals blood. Okay, so maybe there was something more devious going on there, who knows. But he was also uh, the, the last remnant of a bygone era, a bygone age. And uh, he wasn't necessarily fitting into this new age real well and he was kind of losing it so uh, his sons wanted to keep him covered and 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 decent so they wanted to make sure that uh, he wasn't seen as being like necessarily not fitting in or or, or being uh, bad per se or, or anything being an outcast or that kind of thing or, or unwanted uh, so I mean they, they, they made sure to take care of him but uh, the youngest son is the one that kind of got the wrath of Noah so he cursed Canaan uh, but anyway let's get back to what it says here about Noah it says after the flood Noah lived 350 years altogether Noah lived 950 years and then he died 
the table of nations. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. And then it goes on to give this long list of this one begat that, and this one begat that, and these were the people that lived here and there, uh, and, and all of that stuff. But we see that, uh, you know, this idea that uh, Noah was this, this uh, last remnant of this bygone era. And uh, he didn't transition well into this new age. Uh, he was um, a representation of the last of that old age. So when he died here, 350 years later, after this uh, transitory phase, you could see how these ages, age shifts can last a long period of time. See, that's kind of what it's encoding there. So this is a long era of time that happened before the the transition was smooth and it was completely established that the age of water was upon the earth. And this is kind of similar to where we're at right now. We're in this transitory phase, okay, uh, that may last a couple hundred years. We don't know. It may have started a couple hundred years ago and we're in the process uh, toward the end game of that. We don't know. See, that's that's the whole problem. Uh, many of these ideas have become muddled up in, in many ways. But uh, we see that with the passing of Noah, uh, this is where the, the, the dividing point is between the age change, okay? This is the full transition to the age of water now, after Noah's passing. He was the last of a bygone era, okay? He still brought some of the old ideas with him. But uh, it didn't fit with the way the society was at that point, the older ideas. Uh, so he was kind of seen as a relic of an older time. And as such, he was tolerated by his children. And they tried to protect him and uh, preserve his dignity and respect his legacy. But at the same token, he didn't belong to that age. And that's, that's basically what that kind of equates to, all right? So different ideas came about that uh, were not prevalent in the days of Noah at that time, after the fact here. So um, from there, like I said, it goes on. It gives the genealogy of this one big at that, and they settled here, and blah, 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 blah. So uh, this is how it was in the days of Noah, okay? Leading up to the... Uh, the deluge, so to say, and uh, the, the 40 days and nights that they spent uh, upon the rough waters. See, that's kind of the era we're going through right now. We're in the 40 days and nights of the rough waters, so to say, in a philosophical type way. It's the transitory phase. And when we get on the other side of it, things will be better. But at the same token, uh, many of our old ways won't fit anymore with how the new ways are going to be. But we still have some say in how this goes. And see, that that's the whole point. Uh, Noah survived another 350 years after this. So he influenced his children, and he influenced the society at that time uh, with his spiritual principles. And uh, the, his legacy lived on. I mean, it, it was enough that it was even written down in an account here. Okay? And... Uh, you know, he, it, the whole story has made 
a big impact on our society. So whether you even you see this as being real accurate history or just mythology or however you view it, that's irrelevant. Okay, the story is important and it's been recorded for a reason. And it's encoded with these many different factors for different reasons. So we see Noah lived into the new age. Okay, He transitioned, he saw the end of the old age, and he saw in the new age. And uh, he lived a long life. And he may not have necessarily liked some of the things that he saw going on. And maybe he did. It doesn't really say here. It doesn't give you a lot of context. Other than the story of after he plants his vineyard, uh, which equates back to uh, he was trying to live the way his old lifestyle was, and it didn't work out so well for him, okay? That's the kind of thing. So he had to make a change, and uh, his youngest son is the one that pretty much pointed out to him in uh, this this kind of a, a rendering here that he needed to change his ways, and he didn't like that, and he cursed his youngest son. Uh, but his oldest older sons were... I, I would say probably a little more patient with him and understanding of his older ways because, you know, they were older and they probably saw, uh, you know, some of the remnants of that bygone era as well and had experienced it more so than the youngest son. So he was more tolerated by them and understood by them. So they kind of updated many of his uh, types of teachings and, and principles and brought them into the new era that they were in. So, and, and this had spread all across the world here. And we see, when you go through the genealogies and stuff here, this could go on for hours, just reading this one begat that, and that one begat this, and they settled in this area, and this kind of thing. But Noah's legacy lived on, even though he was a remnant of a bygone era. And that'll be the same thing for us, okay? Uh, maybe many of us, our ideas now, uh, when people read them in the next age, the next era, will seem kind of quaint or antiquated, per se. Or, you know, the same kind of thing. Maybe it'll be uh, a mythologized version of things that went on when people look back and see a lot of this stuff. And, uh, you know, who, who knows for sure what these things will be. But we can have an impact upon the future. Noah had an impact upon the future. His story's written down, and it's been told through pretty much every civilization and time period and era out there. Uh, when you look at it from that vantage point, it, it it's an important concept, see? And there were some key ideas that were brought in there. Uh, the most important being the fact that uh, Noah was pretty much the, the one... That God looked upon and said, this man is perfect in all his generations, and he respects and follows me. See, that's the most important thing. Noah loved God and obeyed God and did what was right in the eyes of the Creator. So he was given the gift of being the one to usher in the new age, okay, in a sense. He was able to see this new age, and his children benefited from it. So, what we see going on right now is probably something very similar, okay? We're going through the birth pains of a new age dawning up around us, and, you know, we, we don't know necessarily what it's going to be like on the other side, but that doesn't mean that our, our story 
isn't important or that our, uh, our place in this uh, world isn't important or that we don't have an impact on this world. But uh, I think if we look back at some of these older philosophical and alchemical ideas, we could get a broader view of a lot of different things and understand a lot of things by learning to read between the lines and, and pick out the symbology and the symbolism uh, that, that's listed in these stories. And, and once again, we just did a little bit of that, just going through uh, these couple of chapters in the book of Genesis here. And, and we could see how we could read uh, more meaning and stuff in these things just based upon that idea. Okay, that, that goes beyond just the, the surface narrative that's given. All right. And once again, I mean, it, it's, it's not one of those things where uh, it, it's not important whether you believe that this is a factual historical document written or if it's just some kind of an allegorical tale or that kind of thing. Um, regardless of, of what you think of it, the story itself, the archetype of the story is important to understand. Noah was a figure. He was a man caught between ages. Okay. And he listened to God, did what was right, and he transitioned between these ages. And he did so relatively gracefully. And that's the important point. So if you, uh, uh, you know, keep in tune with your creator, have this relationship with God, and, you know, do what he wants you to do, and uh, do, do things the right way, and, and hold about your integrity, uh, we could come out the other side of this, doing pretty good. And, and that's that's the whole thing. Even though it's not always popular uh, to do what uh, the creator wants you to do, it's not always the thing that the crowd wants. Okay? That's the important idea to, to keep in mind here. It may be contrary to everybody around you, uh, this kind of a thing, but uh, it's important that we just do what we must do. We, we listen for the voice of our creator and know what he wants from us, and, and do that. And if we do that, we can't go wrong. That's the bottom line. He'll see us through it, and that's, that's what, what it's all about. So we see that uh, these cycles of time, they repeat themselves in many different ways. And it's the same thing. We're coming upon an age change here. Things are going to be different on the other side, and we don't know how they're going to be. But at the same token, if we just follow God's will for us, we'll be all right in the end. So... And that's the whole thing right there in a nutshell. Pretty much, you know, we could see from the story of Noah uh, some of the things we may come to expect in a philosophical type way. We may not know the exact ins and outs of what's coming or, or what the world's going to look like on the other side, but we do know it's going to be totally different than what we were used to. But we will have a little bit of that old normalcy, because uh, Noah was able to build a vineyard, okay? He, he did that. That's what he did. That's what he was comfortable with uh, in his prior life, in that prior age. So he brought some of that old age forward with him and kept some of those traditions alive, even though the world was completely different and changed. He was still able to do that. So we could do that as well. We could bring the good parts of the old age with us and leave behind the bad. And I have hope for the future because of that. So I think it's important that we uh, take a step back sometimes and review many of these stories and stuff that we've been taught as children and uh, kind of dismissed in our adulthood 
take a look back at them with fresh eyes. Uh, look at it from through the alchemical lens or through the philosophical lens. And we could really begin to discover just different aspects of what it means to be human. And this is an important thing. Uh, because I think in this coming age, we're going to be given a choice. Do we want to know what it is to be fully human? Or do we want to become what they would call transhuman? Uh, or, uh, you know, the total antithesis of what it is to be a human being created in the image of God. To try to be something uh, more than God or different than what God intended. Something artificial. Or do we want to know what it is to be fully human in the natural? And this is the crossroads we're at. And this is the... Uh, the transition we're making. This is the, the journey we're on into this new age. So that being the case, we need to be mindful of these things. Take a look back at many of these old philosophies and these old ideas with a fresh set of eyes, and you'll have a better understanding of what's going on in the world around us. And keep in mind, most of all, there's nothing to fear. And that's the end of it all. Uh, there's nothing to fear about any of this. So that being the case, we don't need to be fearful moving forward. We don't need to be afraid of things to come. Even though sometimes it looks ugly, know this. If you uh, just follow God's will for your life and uh, do the right thing that you know is right in your own heart and uphold your integrity, it all works together for good. And that's a promise even made right in the Bible. It all works together for good. So... Uh, we could move forward into this new era and still maintain our humanity and maybe even in a fuller degree, life and more abundant. That's what God wants for us. And we need to make that choice. Are we going to have this life, this more abundant life, or are we going the way of the artificial? And that's an, a choice we all need to make in the end when it ultimately comes down to it. But anyway... Thanks for hanging out with me tonight, folks. Have a good night. Come with me.
Fantasy. 